Hello Life Changes Church, welcome to our YouTube channel. We have got an amazing word prepared for you, so why don't you take out your notebook and your pen as we get ready to listen to what God has for us. I want to tell us today, briefly, that um, my wife and I have been married almost 10 years, a decade, people. Can you believe it? And over a decade, we lived in three homes, the first of which was 88 Coral Road, and it was a one-bedroom flat uh, that was the launch of our, our, our married life together, and we had a sea view. By sea view, I mean if you, if you stood on the left side of the balcony and you tilted your head this way and looked through the three buildings, you might catch a glimpse uh, on the odd day. But it was an incredible home, and maybe you've heard these so- the song, jo- uh, Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, Here I Am, Stuck in the Middle with You. For us, it wasn't the neighbors to the left and right of us that was a problem. It was the neighbors above and beneath us that was a problem. The neighbors above us liked to indulge in a, lot, a little bit too much alcohol on a weekend, and there was one gentleman in the home who would frequently end his evenings uh, with an exclamation point by vomiting over the balcony. So we would make sure if we were on the balcony, we knew which way the wind was blowing. We just were new. We were windguru.com. We knew. Well, lean back feet. Here it comes. Yep. The neighbors below us was uh, like a, a modern take of the Jerry Springer show. It was just like, it was fist fights, it was he said, she said at the highest volume level, and I know we are pastors, so we're supposed to be in that chaos, but we would arrive home, and if their door was shut, we would run up into our home, run, 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 trying to just dodge them, because it literally was like every day when we came home, and we saw their doors open, and there was this chaos going on downstairs, it was like tonight on E, just like just chaos, people, and uh, this, was the, this was our lives, but I tell you, 88 Coral Road, where we fell in love, we grew in love, it was more than a building, it was home. Then we moved to 20 Larissera Road in Sunningdale. And uh, one story about this home was there was a neighbor who once, uh, in the middle of the night, the alarm went off and they were crying out saying there was, a, there was some burglars around. And, and, I, and I heeded that call. You know, I was like, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Here we go. And I, I picked up my weapon of choice for that time in the garden, a pair of garden shares as one does. And I rent across the road into their house and their property. You know, there was a huge commotion and I was leading the charge around corners and going over the wall with my garden shares. Not too sure what I would have done with them. You know, I just was excited to go. But as the adrenaline started wear off, it was as I noticed as the community got, gathering around got larger and larger to come see what the commotion was, that I realized that I was just in my tidy whities my underwear and nothing else. And at uh, that moment, I felt very, very exposed, and I remember the, 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 the street group were, were quite amused about this, and they thought this was quite lovely to, to have their residential pastor in, in, in full glory on display. <laughs> but um, let me tell you, that, that place, despite the chaos and the drama, it, it was more than a building, it was home. And I want to preach a sermon to this morning titled, More Than a Building, because life changes for me has been home for the last decade and a bit, more than a building, more than 7 Ikeem Road, which was built, this venue built uh, by 70 people over two decades ago almost now, 70 people who trusted God and saw his kingdom come, and this amazing uh, building became a place of life and kindness and joy and breakthroughs and salvations and stories, it's more than a building, it's more than a filled car park once, twice, three times on Sunday, it's more than when we went to a high school hall, Milton High School Hall, and launched a church there, more than Seamount Primary, where we launched, where we took that church, it's more than Sable Square, where we found residence as a congregation during COVID. It's more than St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, a 200-year-old v- venue where we were able to worship in a space for a season where the, where the slaves in Cape Town were first able to wa- worship freely. It's, it was more than this place called Seven uh, Edison Way up in, in, in Century City, where Life Changes now has two meetings on a Sunday as our church grows and, and is breaking at the seams. It's more than a building. This is God's design. 
So I want to preach this together with us today. So why don't you turn to the person on the left and the right and tell them it's more than a building. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you as we open your word together, as we lean into your spirit together. I thank you, would you breathe your life upon us all? I thank you, Jesus, that you are awakening your bride. You're awakening your church, your people, to the glorious futures that you have for them. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Briefly today, number one, I wanted to remind us that this thing called church is more than a building. It's a family. It's more than a building. It's a family. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 20 says, So now you Gentiles, that's you and I, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And it's so easy for us to get seduced, to be thinking that this thing called church is about lights, camera, action. Seduced into thinking a church is defined by who's on the stage, who's on the platform, who gets the mic, the preacher, the worship leader, who, who, what, what is the leadership team vision and values. We start to think more that it's about the seats than the stories in the seats. We start to think about it's our parking space or our kids' ministry. And we start to, those things are all important and have value. But I want to tell you, it's much, much more than all those things. It's more than a building. It's a family. A family that's not just a family, but it's his family. It's his household. And he is our father. And we are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in his family. He designed it and he defines it. It's his family that we are building and a part of here. And the, the incredible thing for us is that seats tell stories. In this room and across our city on a Sunday, there are stories of weddings, of baby dedications, of funerals, of, of high days and low days, of moments of pain and despair. And we've cried together. We've laughed together. We've sung together. We've fought battles together. We've, we've stood in the trenches together. We've seen the highs and lows together. We've, we've served together. And this is the beautiful thing when you're building a family. But families also fight. That's what we're called to be a part of, a family together in the highs and the lows. It's more than a building, it's a family. Secondly, though, it's more than a building, it's an army. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not overcome it. And in that moment, Jesus is setting uh, the hearts of the church to come, aligning them, saying that you are a people on the offense. Not a people of the defense, not a people cowering behind white picket fences, singing kumbaya till he comes back again. Not us gathering around and nursing and rehearsing our, our pains and our pet theologies. No, we are an army on the move. We're people on the front line. And this is huge for us because we are fight, not fighting against uh, flesh and blood. We are fighting against powers and principalities of darkness. And so often, though, we forget that we are fighting. There's a battle. That actually we're not coming going, oh, I wonder if they sing my favorite song today. Who's preaching today? No, no, that actually when we gather and we worship and we choose to lift our hands despite how we feel. That actually I don't feel like it. Actually, I'm not worshiping just for my own heart. I'm worshiping as a member of an army that the people on the left and the right of me need to find freedom. That when I, when I tithe and I give financially and then maybe I go, oh, what, there's a, is this a, a theological wrestle? No, I'm telling you, this is a war wrestle. Whom will you serve? And we're an army saying, my finances will serve the war, plundering hell and populating heaven. This is when we have to remind our hearts it's more than a building. It's an army. And that's what was missing, I think, in COVID. People in COVID often would say to me, they, they were like, oh, you know, uh, we really miss being together. And I'm like, yes, community was an essential thing we missed. 
But I think even more than that, people missed being on a mission that was greater than themselves. That actually more than just gathering, we're not just here to gather, we're here to gather and go with the mission of Jesus. And when we settle for anything less, you see, the CDC and the government and the pulpits around the world all said, safety, safety, safety. And for three years, it played, played to the idol of our heart to cower back, and we, we retreated. When actually, we all lived with this thing, we're going to die, we've got to be careful, don't want to die. Now, I'm not saying any statements about COVID or those realities, but I am saying, here's the good news today. We're all going to die! hundred years from now, not one of us will be drawing any breath. We'll all be dead. Good news. Welcome to church. The greatest fear is not, will I die? The greatest fear should be of sin and hell and going to eternity without Christ and a world that is burning. And we will not rearrange the seats as the Titanic plunges to the depths. We will not play, play the fiddle as the ship goes down. No, no, no. We are going to say, we're going to go and we're going to call ourselves the army of God and step out into the danger zone and pick up the danger circle path of obedience because we are the army of God. It's more than a building, people. We're fighting here every day, every week, fighting for marriages. We're fighting for couples to fall pregnant. We're fighting for people to find freedom from addiction. We're fighting for breakthroughs. Every time we gather, there's a war going on. More than the building, it's an army, but also armies also do have wounds and pain. It's more than a building, it's a family, it's an army. Thirdly, it's more than a building, it's a hospital. Jesus said in Luke 5, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The great Tim Keller, who recently passed away, said this, the church is a hospital for sinners not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. What we do week in and week out here is we bind up the brokenhearted. We strengthen feeble knees that give way. We come to see heart surgery get done. We see dead people come back to life. A friend of mine once went to Australia to a very um, charismatic and over-the-top church from his vantage point. So much so that the church was just throbbing with the life of God. And in the worship, things were getting a, bit, uh, getting a bit chaotic. That one gentleman in the congregation took off his shoe and threw it at the worship leader. The worship leader obviously had seen this before. So he just ducked and carried on. Went into the chorus. Oh, happy day. He kept going. People kept worshiping. And he was a bit, he was like, this is weird. Things are a little bit chaotic here. Things got even more ramped up when they had a little bit time of testings. And they called up these muscle-bound gentlemen, came up who had long hair and, and these throbbing bodies. You know, just picture me, basically. Just like, you know, just like as if they'd just come out of a scene of Breaking Bad type reality. You know, that sort of thing. And they gave him the first mic, and the first guy got up and said in Australian accent, and I quote, Jesus is effing amazing. And he was so shocked that this vulgar language was being spoken in church. But what was more shocking is the church stood on their chairs and went, Yeah! And it got worse and worse. Expletives got more and more raw as the microphone got handed down. And he was just getting more and more like going, this is weird. What is going on here? After the meeting, the pastor came to him and said, hey, I see that you're, a bit, you're struggling during the meeting. It's like, <laughs> that's a, that's a, a bit of a, an understatement. Yes, I was struggling. He said, listen, your problem is not a stylistic problem. He said, your problem is a theological problem. To which the guy said, how do you mean? He said, if you truly understood that last week those guys who shared their testimony were dead and this week they now are alive you wouldn't be worried about the expletives coming out their mouths we can sort that out we can we can fix their language but only the spirit of god can take dead people and make them alive and when the church forgets that that is our primary business to see dead people come alive 
in Jesus Christ, then we've lost the plot. Then, we re, then it becomes just a building, just seats to put out, and we move things around. We say, no, this is what we are called to. It's more than a building. It's a hospital. But also in hospitals, we do have sorrow. We do have loss. It's more than a building. It's a family. It's an army. It's a hospital. Fourthly, it's a field. It's more than a building. It's a field, a place where we sow, where we plant, where we give, where we reap, where we harvest, where we feast, where we serve generations to come. It's a field that we sometimes come week in and week out. And, and it, I love that description of a field because when you operate in a field, so often you, you sow the seed and then you don't see anything for a long time. And that's where people can get frustrated with church because they say, I've been coming, I've been doing the thing, but I don't know if I'm experiencing the life. But because you've missed out, it's not a building, it's a field. And we, we're stepping into the economics of sowing and reaping, knowing that we sow, knowing that there's a God who says, under the ground, even when you don't see it, he's working. Yeah. Every time I give, every time I serve, every time I pitch up and pray for people, every time you cook a meal for someone, every time you go to the hospital and, and celebrate a baby being born, every time you go and cry at, a, cry at a graveside, every time you pitch up at a life group and everything inside you says, I don't want to be here. It's a field. Yeah. And there will be a harvest. And I trust the Lord of the harvest that I'm sowing into that field. But fields also see drought and famine where we doubt our sowing will ever bring a crop. It's more than a building. It's a family. It's an army. It's a hospital. It's a field. Fifthly and finally, it's more than a building. It's a bride. One of the biggest descriptions of the church throughout Scripture is as a bride. Or if I can be more clear, as his bride. The 14th of February, 2014, was a date that's etched on my heart forever. The day that Fiona Francis Rolston became my wife. She exchanged that surname for the best surname in the world. Phillips family, baby. Welcome in. And I remember that day as I stood at the front of that church and she walked down the aisle and I was craning my neck to catch a glimpse of her. She came around the corner. And as I just saw that first glimpse of white, everything inside me broke down like a damn wall, exploding. Ugly tears, people. Ugly tears. Fiona cried not one the whole day. Just beaming. Makeup perfect. I'm like a shambles. The videographer was like, it's beautiful. Whoa, what the heck was that? <laughs> like, can we put a placeholder over him during that moment? But in that moment, I just, I just realized that actually that is the groom, Jesus. He has, has got his eyes fixated on his bride. It's the only thing he died for. It's the only thing he prays for. It's the only thing he's coming back for, his bride. He longs for her. His eyes are fixed upon her, watching her, longing for her to come around the corner. That moment that he is building up all eternity is longing for it's his bride. It's not something to be bullied. She's not something to be critiqued and bashed and used and spoken badly of. It's his bride. On the mountaintops and in the humdrum, in the high points and in the mundane, in the suits and ties and white wedding dresses, but also in the sweatpants and stained t-shirts, it's still his bride. And it gets me to the last thought, the prophetic thought I want to put in our hearts deep. It's found in Genesis 29, 30 and 31. A narrative I'd love you to go read. It's of one of these incredible men. It's a man in his 70s who is single and has now got his eyes on finding a wife. Come on, that's, that's a Netflix story waiting to be made. 70 and single. Here we go. And this guy's name is Jacob. He's one of the patriarchs of our faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's, he's on the move. And he, the, the narrative picks up that he's in this area where he pitches up and there's, he finds shepherds at a watering well. And he gets there and there's a massive rock on top of the well. And he says to these guys, he says to them, I'm so thirsty, can you move the rock? And they said, 
they say, and this is the, 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 the chat GPT version, Gabe Phillips translation, obviously. Um, wait for a few moments. There we go. You got it. Is they said, bro, this rock is way too heavy just for the, the people that have gathered here. We're waiting for more people so we can move this rock and then we'll drink. So he says, okay. And this is how I love the Bible. The Bible puts the office in Brooklyn 99 to shame with his humor. Let me tell you, the Bible is funny. It's funny, guys, because there's this moment that he's there, and the, it tells us that all of a sudden he looked up, and he sees this lady called Rachel coming over. And it's literally like, why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? And the Bible tells us that in that moment, he leaps over, and he's coming to bring a sheep to come and drink at the well, and it says that Jacob moved the rock on his own. <laughs> Let me tell you, these guys were waiting for another guy. Jacob's like, I see the chick. I found superhuman strength. Let's go. You're going to be drinking today, girl. The scripture goes on and says, he moved the rock, he kissed her, and then he wept. Your boy has been single for way too long. Guys, let me tell you, just try it. If you're single, just try that, man. Just move the rock, kiss him, and weep. Work for Jacob. But this is the, the amazing moment. Why, why did he respond like this? It's because the Bible describes Rachel. It says, Rachel had a beautiful figure and a pretty face. And the Bible only describes one other person with that descriptor, and it's Esther. That Rachel and Esther, when you get to heaven, just look out for these two guys. People, the Bible says, beautiful figure, pretty face. And I want to say there's a third person missing, it's Fiona Phillips. But anyway, that's just an aside. Don't want to add to scripture. But she was beautiful, and had a pretty face. And so much so, he was like, I'll, I'll, I'm going, I'll, I want this girl. Goes and meets her family, and he introduced to the dad, Laban, but then introduced to the sister. And the Bible said... Rachel, beautiful figure, pretty face. The Bible then says Leah, the sister, had dull eyes. Shame. Other translations say there was no sparkle in her eyes. Basically, the Bible's code for she had a great personality. <laughs> Poor Leah. But Rachel caught his heart's attention and affection. And Laban said, if you want her... You can have her, but you first have to work seven years for her. But Jacob's like, I've been single for seven years, and this girl has caught my eye. Seven years is nothing. He said, I'll work seven years for her. I'll catch a grenade for her. I'll stand in front of a train for her. He says, I'll do it. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I want this girl. So what happens is we read the scripture. It says, so Jacob, this is the sweetest verse in the Bible. You ready for it? The sweetest verse. It says, so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. And on, th on three, we all say, oh, wow. But before you start falling in love too much with Jacob, and go, what a, what a wonderful, gentle guy. The very next verse, is the sweetest verse in the Bible, is followed by what is, I think, the most realistic verse. It says, Jacob says, I fulfilled my agreement. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. <laughs> Boys, hey, let's go, Wow. So what follows in the scriptures, this wild wedding night, and, and, and it just seems like it's a part, an unhinged party, things are going wild, things, people are getting a little bit loose and a little bit chaotic, so much so that Laban, the trickster, the dad, suddenly recognizes there's an opportunity at bay. So he says, actually, in this moment, with Jacob's eyes a little bit out of focus, and he's like stumbling around and going to go to his marriage bed to go and consummate this marriage with Rachel, beautiful figure, pretty face, the dad, Laban, says, at the last bit, I'm going to swap out Rachel for old dull eyes, Leah. Switcher in there, the switcheroo, the bait and switch. And the, the scriptures tell us this verse that says, they consummated the relationship, they slept together, Jacob and old Dalas. 
woke up in the morning, and the scripture says, but when Jacob woke up, there was Leah. It's almost like he woke up and Leah was like, morning, honey. <laughs> Jacob's like, ah! She's like, look me in the eyes. He goes, which one? I don't know. But all jokes aside, what I feel to prod and push deep into our hearts, into my hearts as well this time, is that church often at first looks like Rachel, but over time she starts to appear a lot more like Leah. That at first we're like, wow, we love this church, it's amazing. You should hear it, it's amazing. That preacher, that Mark guy, he cries every service. It's like, he's in touch with his emotions, he gets me. And like the coffee's amazing, the singing's incredible, the people are so friendly, they always remember my name, and it looks beautiful, pretty face, it's a beautiful church. But over a little bit of course of time, I can tell you, this church, along with other churches, will start to look a lot more like Leah. And you'll start to go, oh, that preacher, he cries every time. Like, what the heck? Surely. Like, and you'll, the, you know, that person forgot my name, that person stepped out of my seat, that person, they, they, they sang the wrong songs, and it's a whisper too loud, it's too soft, it's this. And we start to see the church not as Rachel, but as Leah, and we stop seeing the family, and we just see the fights. We stop seeing the army, we just see the wounds. We stop seeing the hospital and we just see the lost. We stop seeing the field, we just see the drought. But let me tell you, there's a twist in the tale. Because Rachel, beautiful figure, pretty face, was unable to fall pregnant. But Leah, old allies, oh, she was fertile. And I wanted to call this sermon, if I had another chance, I'd call it Desperate Housewives of Israel. Because Jacob became known as Israel. And a guy was single for seven years. All of a sudden he's married to Rachel, Leah, and their maidservants thrown in for extra value. And just kids started to pop up everywhere. And Leah falls pregnant with Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And the 12 tribes of Israel are born from this chaos, this mess. This thing that would become the family of God was born out of this chaos. This, this thing that would be called the army of God, the tribes of Israel. This thing that would be called the hospital, the, the sign and wonder to the world. The thing that would be called the field, the place where the kingdoms of people come and see the, the, the nations arise from. This thing that would be his bride watching and waiting came from this chaos. And let me tell you what's amazing. From old dull eyes came a boy named Judah. And if we read the scripture on the screen from Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of 70-year-old Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, who came from the womb of Leah. The despised, the unloved, the dull eyes that Jacob did not want, that he did not need, or thought he needs, Jesus says, my life will come through her. Let me tell you today that the life was in Leah. Jesus didn't come from the beautiful figure and pretty face. He came from old dull eyes. And this is the amazing thing for me and you today, is to understand it's more than a building. It's more than a building. It's the life of God coming to a desperate world through His family, through His army, through His hospital on earth, through His field, through His bride. It's you and me. The life of God comes when we are able to see something as Leah and yet love it and trust it for the fruit of God. This plays out on every facet. In our marriages, they start off, our spouse starts off like Rachel. We love their jokes. We love their quirks. Then after a few years, very quickly, they become like Leah. I can't believe you told that joke again. That thing you do irritates me to heck. 
It happens in our work environment where we sign up because it's Rachel, it's amazing. And just very quickly, it's now Leah. It happens in our churches. It happens in our ministries. It happens with our serving, our areas where we sign up to serve. It starts off as Rachel, but very quickly it becomes Leah. But let me tell you, stop hijacking your future by disconnecting from what God is doing just because it looks dull to the eye. When God says, I use the dull things to bring my color and my life and my joy. Can we stand to our feet in this moment? It's more than a building, church. We're a family. It's more than a building. We're an army on the offense. It's more than a building. We're a hospital where dead things come alive. It's more than a building. It's a field where we sow and we trust we will reap. It's more than a building. It's his bride that he is coming back for. The only thing he died for, the only thing he's praying for, and the only thing that he is coming back for is his bride. It's you and me. It's us. I declare over us as a people, now through the church. Now, 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 not waiting for another day when you've got it all together. Now, through the church, through those on your left and your right, through the dull-eyed people around you, through the dull-hearted, dim-witted people inside of you here right now, you and me, in this moment, now through the church, not a nation's army, a marketing campaign, or a preacher's voice, no, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to powers and principalities of darkness. Now through the church, isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? I pray as we close our eyes, I declare over you, life changes church. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to all to God through Jesus Christ. I declare over you, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. You are not more than a building. You are His sons and daughters. You're more than a building. You are His people, chosen by God for the display of His glory. What an amazing, amazing word. If you would like to find out about what's happening in the life of the church, why don't you follow us on our social media, Instagram or Facebook, or you can go into our website, lifechanges.org.za. Thank you so much for watching that video. Be blessed.